I was on uh, Facebook the other day, the greatest place to be. <laughs> and there was some memes that were popping up and some pictures of different things. And you see a lot of these pictures of saying, you know, describe 2020 in a food <laughs> or something. And, uh, you know, what was the worst thing that's happened to you in 2020? And, or can it get any worse? All these kind of things. And there was one person that posted, uh, you know, there's not much to be thankful for in 2020. And a guy, I was reading some of the comments and a guy's like, ain't that the truth, amen. And I don't know about you, but maybe I'm a little different. I mean, 2020 happened, but every day of my life, I'm so thankful for what God has done in my heart. Thankful for my church. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for salvation. Thankful for my wife, my kids, for my job. Thankful for my pastor, his family. Thankful for the staff. I mean, there's just so much to be thankful for. And I think we put ourselves in this box saying how horrible the world around us is. When in reality, in my heart rings a melody. In my heart rings a melody that Jesus is still on the throne. He has never left me. He's never forsaken me. He's never turned from me. I've lacked absolutely nothing this past year. Everything's been provided. I'm a blessed man. And yeah, there was things that happened this year that I probably could have done without. But it's just life. It's just what happens. God's still on the throne. He still loves me. He's still closer than any brother. And I'm thankful for his spirit. I'm thankful for his spirit. For the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead still dwells within me. And I am grateful this morning. Amen. I am grateful. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. song like we mean it and let's declare it amen
Jesus. We celebrate your name this morning. We're thankful for your word. Thankful for your word. Lord, I pray right now that we open our ears to hear, open our minds to understand, but more importantly, oh God, may we open our hearts to receive your word. And all God's people online and in this building say, Amen. Turn to one next to you and say, It's great to be in God's house. Amen. <laughs> seismic event? Where were you when Neil Armstrong landed on the moon? Where were you when you heard JFK or Martin Luther King Jr. had been shot and killed? Where were you when you heard about Columbine? 
Where were you on 9-11? Where were you when you first heard the term coronavirus? Moments like these change things. Culture shifts. Our lives are never exactly the same. 2020 has been that kind of year. Has there ever been a year filled with more uncertainty? At least in our lifetimes. This one has to rank in the all-time top 10 of unexpected happenings and uncertain events as that uncertainty continues. This morning, we began the Advent season with the lighting of the hope candle. This is a season of hope. Advent is all about hope. The word Advent means coming or arrival. And the season is traditionally a time of expectation, waiting, anticipation, and longing. Advent is not just an extension of Christmas. It is a season that links the past, the present, and the future. Advent offers us the opportunity to share in the ancient longing for the coming of the Messiah, to celebrate his birth, and to be alert for his second coming. Advent looks back in celebration at the hope fulfilled in Jesus' coming while at the same time looking forward, hopeful and eager anticipation to the coming of Christ's kingdom when he returns for all of his people. During Advent, we wait for both. It is an active, assured, hopeful waiting. So wherever you are on your level of 2020 anxiety and uncertainty, wherever you are on your own spiritual journey, we invite you into this season of Advent. In fact, in the craziness, in the uncertainty of this year, we have been given a gift we have begun the opportunity to rediscover and reclaim hope for, as the hymn says about Bethlehem, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. church family. I know there are at least two of our church family that are struggling with COVID issues and we want to remember them in prayer. But I thought this morning, it is so good to see people in here. <laughs> Glad that you're here and we're facing additional struggles and challenges. But I just, I, I need to just make this announcement if that's right. And if it's not all right, I don't know what to do about it. we possibly can to make sure that we have room for kids to participate in the Christmas program. So if you have an issue that we need to talk about, please call Pastor Matthew and uh, we'll work that out. But I am do we're doing everything we can to make sure safe practices happen 
and that kids have an opportunity to participate. The last thing in the world that I want is one of our kids to have to stay home because we didn't do the right things. So we're going to keep working on that. Nationwide, the COVID trend is flat. And in Iowa, the COVID trend is falling. And uh, I am thankful for that. Hope that you are as well. Amen. Pray for our nation. Pray for our state. And we're going to believe God for good things. I really do think that old little town of Bethlehem uh, could very well be the, the, uh, the uh, theme carol for Advent 2020. The hopes and fears of all this year <laughs> are met in thee tonight. The song was written in 1868 by a rector in Philadelphia named Philip Brooks. Philip Brooks had returned from a trip to the Holy Land and he wanted to recapture nighttime in Bethlehem from the hills of Palestine. So when he returned to the church, he approached his organist, Louis Redner, and asked him to write a melody for the church choir. It wasn't until Christmas Eve that Redner got his inspiration. And on Christmas morning, he taught the children this new hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem. The first time that it was sung was on Christmas Day in 1868. And it strikes me that the language, remember, was a children's hymn. That says something about our journey as well. It's been a beloved Christmas classic ever since, and I want to read to you this quote. Hopes and fears are surely two things common to all humanity. The years go by with alternating degrees of one or the other or both in each of us. When our faith is strongest, we are likely to hold more hope. When our fear is weakened, or our faith is weakened, fear can take over. So in this journey during Advent, that's the theme that we're going to address, Bethlehem, as the place where hope and fear meet. And I have good news at the beginning. When hope and fear meet in Bethlehem, hope will prevail. Hope will prevail. In the gospel accounts of the nativity story, there are four times that angels spoke to people on earth saying, do not be afraid. And when there is that angelic declaration from heaven, do not be afraid, I think what follows that is worth paying attention to. So during the four weeks of Advent, we're going to visit each of those events, listen to what the angel declared, and understand how it is that when hope meets fear, that hope will prevail. And I would say to you this morning that whatever you're facing, whatever our world faces, whatever the future holds, that the angelic declaration would be the same today as it was when Jesus was born, do not be afraid. Now, I know this violates some of the uh, separation rules here, but I want you to look at someone and say, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. That's the theme of the Advent story. In Luke chapter 1, a man by the name of Zechariah was visited by an angel. And when he's visited by an angel, the Bible says that he was gripped with fear. <laughs> the angel said to him, 
do not be afraid. Now, listen to what the angel says next. An angel appears. Do not be afraid. Why? Because Zachariah is afraid. And then he says the next line is critically important. Your prayer has been heard. So this morning, I simply want to declare to you that we do not have to be afraid because we serve a prayer answering God. Is it right to worship during Advent? Is it right to celebrate during Advent that we don't have to be afraid? Why? Because we serve a God who still answers prayer. Anybody believe that this morning? We serve a prayer answering God and fear does not have to dominate us. Now, I'm going to show you in a little bit that sometimes the prayer answering moment can be more scary than those times when the prayer has not yet come. In fact, when God answers prayer, you better get ready for the ride because it might be a bit different than what you were expecting. Here is the confidence we have in 1 John chapter 5. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. That is our confidence. If we pray in the will of God, we know he hears us. And if he hears us, we know that the petition will be answered. Our desire will be granted. So let's journey with Zechariah for just a little bit and see what happens. And the first picture I want to create this morning in the story of Zechariah is simply this. A random day, any random day, can become a divine appointment. <laughs> Zechariah is doing his everyday work. The Bible says it this way in verses 8 and 9. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Now I want to walk back through that. I want you to capture the mundaneness the ordinariness, the circumstantial nature of this particular day. He was serving as a priest before God in the order of his division. In other words, it simply was his turn to serve. He didn't have an overwhelming desire to serve. It was his assignment to serve. You can't even suggest that he got up in the morning and thought, thank God I have an opportunity to serve. How many of you know that some days you just do what you're supposed to do because it's your time to do it? How many of you would admit you don't feel like going to work every morning? Three, the rest of you need to repent of thy sins. <laughs> Not every day. I don't feel like <laughs> I don't feel like coming to the church every day. Some days I don't feel that. And honestly, there are some Sunday mornings I don't feel like coming. Some Sundays just feel ordinary to me. But the issue is, you never know when in the mundaneness of everyday life that God has a plan for that day that you're unaware of. And if you're not faithful in the mundaneness of everyday life, you'll miss the supernatural God moments that he wants to bring into your life. Zachariah is simply doing his job. The miracles of Scripture are linked by long periods of walking the dusty roads of Israel. 
We read the gospel accounts. There's a miracle and a miracle and a miracle. Well, how boring would it be to read chapter 1 and Jesus opened the eyes of the blind in chapter 2 and they walked and they walked and they walked and they walked. And chapter 3 and they walked and they walked and they walked and they walked. And chapter 4 and they walked and then they ate and they slept and they walked. The miracles are linked together by long stretches of ordinary boredom. And we need to wrap our lives around that reality. Faithfulness is important, especially when life is boring. In those moments when it's not exciting, in those moments that it just seems the same. How many are familiar with the term being velocitized? How many, anybody know what that is, velocitized? Hold up your hand if you know what that is. Hold up your hand if you're hearing me right now. <laughs> velocitized is a term that describes driving down the highway and you're hypnotized by the road experience. You don't see anything anymore. The lines are going by, you're driving along, everything's ordinary. And it's in those ordinary moments that you are at the greatest risk to make a huge mistake. I'll never forget driving to Springfield for a meeting and I had driven, it wasn't that far, six hours driving on the highway and I pulled into Springfield to get a sandwich and I pulled back out on the road to make a left turn and I made a left turn right into traffic. A vehicle was coming because I'd just become accustomed to being in the vehicle and not having to worry about it and forgot I'm not on the highway anymore. Anybody been there? You're looking at me like... Somebody better lock him up. He's a danger to mankind. It's in the ordinariness, in the, in the just simply moving along. There are times, though, that God will, I do believe, God will get your attention. How many have ever driven tired? How many have ever driven tired impaired? And you... And particularly, this is a, a guy thing, I think. Why is it so hard for us to admit when we're driving that we're tired? Yeah. <laughs> Carol will say, are you, are you awake? Uh, I am now. <laughs> we were driving back from seeing a friend. It was late. And it was uh, deer season. And they're running all over the place and we're on this little blacktop road. And I'm just driving along, trying to keep my mind active, trying to keep my mind busy. And this thought came to me randomly, just randomly. If a deer, because we're going over these little hills in the low places, if there was a deer on the highway, what would you do? And so just to keep myself awake, I processed what I would do and as soon as I processed and came over the top of the hill there was a deer right there standing in the road looking at me yep. I'm saying to you in the ordinariness of daily life if you're listening there there could be a God moment for you is anyone hearing me now in the ordinariness of doing the right things God may show up faithfulness is important especially when it's uh, boring he had, an, an, he had an extraordinary and unexpected experience. And so in order to really capture what happens here, you have to enter in the story and try to feel his emotion. 
the angel of the Lord appeared. Now, the angel of the Lord, to recreate that, was not how they're pictured in contemporary or ancient art. They're not sissies wearing satin robes. Those aren't angels. Those are somebody's choir robes. <laughs> angels are warriors. When angels appeared, men fell like dead. They were awesome, fearful. Creations of God that carried out his bidding and did warfare. Now, Zechariah and his wife had been praying for years with no response when this angel appeared. But I think it's significant where he is standing on this ordinary day doing his job. He's standing at the altar of incense. What is the altar of incense? It represents the prayers and praise and worship of the people of God. It was the article of furniture between the holy place and the holy of holies. And when they offered incense, it billowed upward representing the prayers of the people on an ordinary day without any reason to expect anything to happen differently after they'd prayed for decades with no answer. It was at the altar of incense. <laughs> Whew, someone help me this morning. I said it was at the altar of incense. At that daily, mundane, ordinary service of prayer that he had done again and again and again and probably felt nothing emotional or exciting. But when he was at the altar of incense, the angel of God showed up. Has anybody ever been there? In your ordinary prayer time, in your ordinary seeking of God, an ordinary day, God shows up at the altar of incense. You never know during worship. You never know during prayer. You never know when something supernatural is about to happen, but I'll suggest to you that if you neglect your service at the altar of incense, you'll never see the angel of the Lord appear. In the boring, mundane times, maintain your position at the altar of incense, your place of praise and worship. And even when it feels dry and it feels dead and it doesn't feel like anything's happening, there could be today. This could be the dawning of that grand and glorious day. This could be the time that Jesus comes. Wouldn't it be wonderful if Advent this year would be celebrated by his returning to catch his bride away? What a wonderful way to celebrate in the ordinary randomness of every day, something supernatural happens. So can I ask you this during Advent? Don't treat any day as ordinary. Don't treat any day as ordinary. You never know when there might be a God moment. Now, I'm not suggesting that you should walk around this could be really cool today because you'll wear all of us out. <laughs> Act ordinary, but understand that God loves to show himself strong in the middle of ordinary days. So when life is ordinary and it's just the same, take your place at the altar of incense, continue to serve him and be faithful when life is boring because any random day can become a day of divine appointment. Is anyone hearing me right now? 
live with that sense of expectation. Secondly, hope and fear meet at the altar of answered prayer. Hope and fear meet at the altar of answered prayer. Now, you would think, wouldn't you, that when prayer is answered, fear would be banished. But as, as he's at the altar, the Bible says that the angel said, don't be afraid, your prayers have been heard. Now, how do you interpret that? I don't want you to think I'm twisting the scripture out of proportion. But think of it like this. Why would he say, don't be afraid? Because he was scared. And the reality is, it's really difficult for you to hear and respond to the voice of God when you're living in fear. So if Zechariah is going to hear anything else that the angel says, the extraordinary nature of the moment could block him from experiencing the revelation of the moment. And it's the revelation of the moment that's more important than the experience of the moment. And so the angel says, don't be afraid. I have something to tell you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Calm down. Don't be afraid. Could be that way. But I just happen to think that when the angel says, don't be afraid, what happens next isn't just the revelation for the future, but the revelation for, a, for the moment. Don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. And I think it's fair to link those that if you want to walk in a place free of fear, you have to believe in the ordinariness and the unanswered prayer in your mind that goes year by year by year that we don't have to be afraid. Why? Because God answers prayer and that the journey we're going through and the situations we're facing can be met with faith and confidence because we know that he hears us fear has to go when it faces answered prayer now they had been praying for a son and she hadn't had a son yet it's <laughs> it's one thing to pray that when you're 20 It's another thing to keep praying that when you're 80. I want to be really, really careful here. And men, you know you need to be really, really careful in this particular area. You have never in your life, nor will you ever in your life, experience anything that compares to the pain of childbirth. And even if you have, you haven't. Hello? Don't even act like you have. If you want to live a long life full of good days, don't be stupid. You just haven't. And so I have no idea what I'm talking about right now, but I'm assuming that the trauma of childbirth would be more intense when you're 80 than when you're 20. Can you imagine? 
80 years, I don't know how old she was. It doesn't really tell us. I'll just use that number. Maybe she was 70. Maybe she was 60. All I know is that her body was no longer physically capable of having prayer being answered. And it's the likelihood of people that when the prayer answer becomes more difficult, that maybe we don't want the answer anymore. <laughs> Hello? Because he's going to answer it, and Elizabeth is going to have to live with it. Nine months of carrying a baby as an old lady. I wanted to take a survey and ask ladies over a certain age how they would feel about that answer to prayer. But I knew that uh, it would be risking my life to ask for women who were over any age to respond. <laughs> I'm just, is this making any sense at all? She is going to have to give birth. She's an old woman. This is not a fun story. When she finds out that she's pregnant, that's scarier than having prayer not be answered. Sometimes the answer brings with it circumstances that you weren't counting on. <laughs> It's easy to pray for something you know can't happen. <laughs> Your prayer has been heard. I don't know. It, it could be that they, now watch this. You can disagree with me all, all you want. It's totally fine. It doesn't tell us they kept praying it. In fact, it says your prayer has been heard. Could it be that when they prayed when they were 20, are you with me right now? Could it be that when they prayed when they were 20, God held that prayer in memory? And after they had long since forgotten that they had prayed, long since assumed it wasn't going to happen, that God kept that request active? Ooh, I'm feeling it right now. That Advent is a season when some of those prayers that you've put on the shelf and shut the door are still active in the presence of God. And you never know when he will come by and answer it in his time in a way that will honor and glorify him. And this morning, don't think for a moment that those prayers you prayed 10, 20, 30 years ago have been forgotten by God because he said to Cornelius in the book of Acts, your prayers are brought up, they're kept as a memorial before God. God, he's not forgotten. You might have. You might not even be praying it anymore, but those prayers you've prayed are still active, waiting to be answered in the timing and plan and purpose of God. And when God answers, it could be scarier than when he didn't answer. I doubt that Elizabeth was excited that God answered when he did. <laughs> it's like, whoa, whoa, you're a little late, God. I'm not ready for the answer. Hope and fear meet. But Elizabeth is about to have a child. Life gets real when prayer gets answered. Just be ready for the answer to come because that fear, that fear over the answer can't continue to live because when fear and hope meet at the altar of incense, 
It's ultimately hope that will prevail. When God speaks, hope will win. Now, let's take this a step further as we're unpacking the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth. Now, listen to me carefully here. This is, I felt like God dropped this in my heart praying over the message this morning. Fear often hides behind a request for reassurance. Fear often hides behind requests for reassurance. I watched a video yesterday that made me laugh. It was simply titled, The Dumbest Answers on Family Feud. And Steve Harvey has an expression that I would never want him to look at me with that look on his face and make you feel like you are the dumbest person on the planet. Okay? So I want you to picture an expression like that. This angel appears. I've never had an angelic appearance. But an angel appears, and it is so overwhelming that Zechariah is gripped with fear. He's not wondering, is this an angel? It's not an angel unaware. It's not a normal person who disappears. It's a being that has gripped his heart with fear and says, you and your wife are going to have a child. And he says, how can I be sure? Are you kidding me? How? Sorry, I was kidding. Wrong house. I'm supposed to be three blocks down. How can I be? What in the world? Pastor Larry, have you ever wanted to grab someone by the lapels and shake them and say, what do you have to have in order to believe? (laughs) How can I be sure? How about if I strike you dead and then raise you up? And the angel says, that's fine. I'll show you how to be sure. Those words of doubt that just came out of your mouth are the last thing you'll say until you declare my promise. For nine months, he can't talk. (laughs) I just wonder, this is a sidebar. It's really not part of the message, but it's kind of a sidebar thing. How much of your talk would be eliminated if God muted you when you were expressing doubt. (laughs) How much? What causes a person to ask that? They either don't want to believe or they can't believe. Some people find it really, really hard to believe that an angelic appearance, you see, it's not the appearance or the supernatural moment that'll change your heart. It's what's happening on the inside of you. If an angel won't make you believe, what will it take to make you believe that God answers? He says... Gabriel to Zechariah, I'm Gabriel. (laughs) It's like, do you know who I am? Now, think about how hilarious this is. Angel appears, gripped with fear, don't be afraid. How can I be sure? Do you know who I am? Do you have any idea who's talking to you right now? What is going on in your pea brain mind right now? What is happening right now that you can't believe? Do you know who I am? I am Gabriel. 
who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring these glad tidings. You ever had a gift that was given back? I was sent by God to give you good news, but behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which we fulfilled in their own time. Your request for reassurance was not honest. It was an expression of doubt in the face of the promise. If there's anything that will stop the promise from being fulfilled in your experience, it's your doubt and unbelief. He says, stop. You're not saying anything else. I'm not going to let you damage the faith of Elizabeth. I'm not going to let you damage the faith of people around about you. I'm going to shut you up. Now, walk with me for a moment. Why do you call that reassurance? Because there are some times that we want to be reassured of things we don't really believe. Now, I understand words of affirmation. I'm a firm proponent of the love languages, and one of those is words of affirmation, and some people really need that. They're, they're words of affirmation people, and they want to hear it all the time, and we all need, if you're wired that way, it's okay to want to be affirmed. But if you're constantly asking your spouse for reassurance of their love, could it be that you don't believe them? Could it be that you have the issue? Honey, I love you. Are you sure? Do you really? Do you really? All the time saying that? It's one thing to want to hear it again. And like Carol, when she'll say I love you, sometimes I'll say, do you really? Just because I want to hear it again. Hello? But if I were saying every day, imagine three times a day, do you love me? Do you really love me? Do you love me? Or if I said to you, I'll meet you tomorrow at noon for lunch, and I got a text this afternoon, are we still on at noon tomorrow? And at night, I got another text, are we still on for noon tomorrow? And then in the morning, hey, are we still on for noon tomorrow? Are you going to be there? And then 11 o'clock, are we still on at noon tomorrow? And I would say, no, we're not. Because you don't believe I'm going to do what I said. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? Sometimes when we're going back to God for reassurance, it's a demonstration of our lack of faith. It's a demonstration of our unbelief. When you go back to him and say, God, I know you promised, but can you give me another sign? What greater sign do you need than his arm stretched out on the cross saying it is finished? What greater sign do you need than the empty tomb, a body that could never, ha never be discovered, no evidence ever given that Jesus died and didn't rise from the dead. It's the absence of evidence that testifies to that. And he ascended to the Father. What more, child of God, do you need than that? There comes a place that you have to trust. Constantly needing reassurance means that you're not settled in your faith. It often shows up this way. I don't feel like a Christian today. God, am I still right with you? If every time I saw Pastor Larry, I walked up and said, <laughs> you'd be careful because some of you are going to know what I'm talking about. Hey, are we good? Are we good? About the fourth time he says that, do you know what I'm hearing? We're not good. Come on. In your relationship to God, 
Your expression for reassurance that you and God are good is driven by your doubt, not by your faith. He said it. Believe it. Walk in it and trust in that, that the promises of God are true and we can believe them. God silenced his voice. Now, I know we need affirmation, but constantly needing reassurance shows a tragic lack of trust. Lastly, hope conquers fear. Where does it finally end? This hope and fear are met in thee tonight. Hope is ultimately conquered at the place of obedience. Fear is conquered by hope at the place of obedience. Zachariah's inability to speak continued to endure. All all through her pregnancy, she can complain all she wants and he can't say anything. Somebody should have said hallelujah to that. He was silenced for nine months. Oh, I'm feeling horrible. She didn't even have time to shut up. He couldn't talk. All through that journey, there's no sound coming. Now, what I find fascinating, if you jump down to verse 57... When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy and they shared her joy. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Joy that is abundant, is overwhelming. No one's ever heard of anything like this. You have to go back to Abraham and Sarah. This is a, a Sarah kind of covenant moment. This is amazing. And they're all celebrating. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. They're going to name him after his father, Zachariah. But his mother said, no, he is to be called John. Because that's what the angels said. They said, what are you talking about? There's no one in your relatives who has that name. So they made signs to the father to find out what he would like to, like to name the child. Now pause right there. Listen to me very closely. Elizabeth's obedient confession of faith did nothing to liberate Zechariah from his bondage. Someone else's declaration of faith will not deliver you. You've got to step up and be counted. While my wife's praying, she's believing God. While my husband's praying, he's believing God. Then stay in your bondage because their declaration of faith won't liberate you. She said his name will be John. They make signs to him. He asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote. Whoo! His name is John. A moment of obedience, nine months after his moment of stupidity. <laughs> he writes, his name is John, and immediately his tongue is loosed. And the Bible says, he began to speak Praising God. Now, how do you think that happened? His name is John. Oh, I got my voice back. That's pretty cool. Nine months of verbal quarantine. Can't communicate, can't say anything. Do you know how Jews worshiped? <laughs> they didn't worship like North Americans. 
They're very demonstrative. The word to praise means to twirl. They got into it, body, soul, and spirit. And I'm telling you that this old man began to cut a rug. I mean, he's dancing, he's jumping, he's shouting what? Not about John, just praise to God. Glory to God in the highest. Hallelujah. Thank you, oh, heavenly Father, Abba, Father, the great God of creation. He's jumping and dancing and shouting. How do you know that's true? Because that's what I read they did in the Old Testament. It was very demonstrative and loud and exuberant because God had answered the moment of the child. And I, I don't know how you are, but I remember when our first child was born. Do you remember the first child? And you're thinking, I have no idea. Do you know what my biggest concern was? How in the world and I, am I going to love a baby that I'm meeting for the first time? And the truth is, I'd met a lot of babies to that point and didn't fall in love with any of them. They're cute. Glad they're going home. Oh. remember that moment when that baby is wrapped in a blanket and put in my arms there's a supernatural moment that happens there and I'm as excited as I could ever be in my life and in love with this new child all of that rolls to the forefront and I'm sure Zachariah is thinking I'm so glad that God shut my mouth for nine months so that I could celebrate this moment without having discouraged anyone else glory to God in the highest he was restored Here's what you have to grab hold of this morning. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Where will hope and fear meet? In Bethlehem. When will hope prevail? At the place of obedience. At the place of obedience. Victory isn't won. Hear me. Victory isn't won in the supernatural manifestation. Victory isn't won in the supernatural revelation. People want it to be done at that moment. No, 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 no. That prepares you for the battle where you will win. And in the moment, in the moment that hope conquers fear will be in the moment of obedience. When you take the act of obeying God, Let me talk about something practical. You can hear all about tithing. You can even have a moment where God speaks to you that you ought to tithe. But the first time you tithe, anybody remember that first time? That is a lot of money to give to that church. Where does fear go away? In the act of obedience. And when that first overwhelming blessing comes, and you think, thank God I obeyed. The hope and fear. You ever wanted to share your faith with someone? And you're so afraid, and I can't do that. I can't invite them to church. I can't talk to them. I can't, I can't do that. 
And God can reveal to you and you can feel the need and you can have an experience. But in that moment when you walk up to them and say, I want to tell you about Jesus. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in Bethlehem. And fear is banished when you take the step of obedience. Some of you live in bondage because you haven't been willing to obey. But when you obey, you'll be dancing around the victory of a new baby in your life. Faith that has grown. Could we stand together? The old song said, trust and obey for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And I I just feel like I want to take a moment during Advent. You may have had supernatural experiences. You may have had words from God. You may have had it affirmed. But there's an area of your life where you've not been willing to step in and obey. With heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. I just wonder on this morning if you would say yes today I will obey what God has spoken to me that I've been unwilling to do whether online in the chapel here in the main auditorium if God's put his finger on your heart about an act of obedience would you simply slip your hand up and acknowledge that to him thank you Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you, yes, thank you. Hands going up all around. Jesus, you see our hands extended. We want to live in that place of victory. We want to live in that place of freedom. And we and we determine today that we will step out in obedience and obey what you've said and trust you to bring forth the promise in Jesus' name. This is not a random day. It's the day the Lord has made. This is not a random day. It's a day when someone needs an answer from God. So could we take just a moment to seal up this ordinary day by entering back into the presence of an extraordinary God and just love him for a little bit? Pastor Nathan, if you'd lead us. Let's just take a moment to worship him together. Let's worship him together.
just one more time and we'll be finished here in just a moment but I believe the message this morning is a word from God for someone specific you're living in a place of fear and I want you to hear the word of God do not be afraid your prayer has been heard wherever you are there's right now a a witness of God's spirit in your inner man saying that word is for you. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Now act in obedience and see what God will do. 